Hey everybody, Sean King here. For the month of July, I'm on sabbatical, so we're rerunning some of our favorite episodes of The Breakdown and other North Star podcasts. I hope you enjoy them, and I'll see you again in August with brand new content. The, the, the Breakdown. The, 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 the Breakdown. The, 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 the Breakdown. Hey, everybody, if you have anyone relying on your income, kids, parents, or even a business partner, you need life insurance. Policy Genius makes it easy to get the life insurance plan that covers all of your needs. And getting started is super easy. First, head to policygenius.com. In minutes, you can work out how much life insurance coverage you need. You can compare personalized quotes to find your best price. And it's super simple. When you're ready to apply, the Policy Genius team will handle the paperwork and the scheduling for free. You can save 50% or more on life insurance by comparing quotes with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get started right now. Head to policygenius.com and just get started. You need to do it. Policy Genius. When it comes to insurance, it's nice to get it right. Hi, Tiffany. Hi, Alan. Hi, listeners. Yeah, you're you're quite formal today. Well, just want to make sure folks know. That your name is Alan and that my name is Tiffany? No, just that we want to say hi to them. Hello. Okay. Well, we always say hello. Uh, so hello to everyone. Happy Memorial Day weekend. Yes. Are you excited about Memorial Day weekend? Actually, I'm pissed off. Pissed off? The weather. Yeah, the weather. The supposed to be a little more cooperative this weekend. Yeah, it literally has been like 90 degrees, and then this weekend in the Northeast, it's going to be cold and rainy. Yeah. I think that is COVID. I think COVID is like, hey, pipe down. Not yeah. yet. Don't, don't go yet. Because if the weather would have been like amazing for Memorial Day weekend, we would have taken it too far. Yeah. So it's like, hey, calm down, pump your brakes. We're going to ease into this hot girl summer. Yeah. Okay. okay. Either way, I'm, I'm not happy. I was planning to have people over. Ow, see? I canceled it. it. Yeah. COVID canceled it. I think COVID yeah. got involved with the weather and said, hey, they're moving too fast. Yeah. Bring it on down. Okay. All right. Well, I will. You still get like a, a, a lazy Monday. Is that okay? Yeah. I'm good about that. Okay. But I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. My best friend is in town for Memorial Day weekend. I am? Uh, not, I... We're not talking about you. That's who we're not. That's who I'm not speaking about. You sure? I'm absolutely positive. I'm already in town. No. <laughs> it's all good. No. That's good. Yeah. So even though the weather isn't great, we're still getting friend time. Yeah. That's friend good. time, hangout time. Yeah. So there's another big anniversary, a big thing that we're talking about this week on the North Star across all the platforms. Okay. Not so uh, bright and shiny, but we're going to bring our own slant to it. Okay. The 100th anniversary of the Tulsa Massacre. Mm, Black Wall Street. See how I transitioned that? Yeah. I I don't know if the transition (laughs) was that good. I would have done it a little bit differently. Like in the same vein of the bad weather, of the gloomy and rainy weather that's approaching, we've got a gloomy topic. 
yeah. that we need to bring the light. I don't know. We all do things differently. Yeah, but the topic's not gloomy in itself. Like mm. we're we're gonna. Look, what happened was gloomy. Tulsa's gloomy. Yes, but our topic is not gloomy. There you go. Our topics are never gloomy, even when they are. We we bring out the sunshine. Yeah. Okay. We we bring the positives to light, and so that is what we're gonna do today. We are gonna highlight the Tulsa massacre. We are gonna talk about what happened, and we're gonna talk about what that means for us today and how as African Americans we are coming through and making progress beyond what the Tulsa massacre did to us financially. Yeah. We're talking about Generation Zero. Generation Zero is our signature mm. wealth building framework. And we just felt like this is the perfect time to highlight it. Yeah. While we're talking about this event that I think is really emblematic of a lot of the struggles that we've had to endure, you know, in our sort of generational progress. Um, and we're going to break down not just the bad stuff that happened, but also some strategies for how to build wealth when you're literally starting from nothing. Also, how to be mindful of what is happening around you and in your families throughout your family generations when it comes to your finances. I don't think it's until we started talking about Generation Zero that we started to really pay attention to how our previous generations impacted how we spent money or how we were able to acquire wealth moving forward. Because we know there's a wealth gap. Like For that, sure. that is talked about ad nauseum. There's two wealth gaps. One is about rich and poor, and that's despite what your race is. The the rich and poor wealth gap is that the average wealthy household has a net worth of eight hundred forty-eight K compared to the average low income household with a wealth of eleven thousand dollars. Wow. That's a huge disparity. Yeah. And then when you start to add in race, just looking at black and white alone, the average net worth of a white family is about 10 times the average net worth of a black family. It's about 171K for the white family, 17K for the average black family. But what I will say, this doesn't have to be true in your house, even though it's true in the country. And so we're going to talk about how we got here a little bit, and then we'll talk about how to fix it. Okay. So a couple of reasons that we've identified for this wealth gap. First things first, uh, the elephant in the room, mm -hmm. slavery. Yeah. Um, we were slaves um, from 1619 to 1865. And this was a horrible period for Black people. We were essentially, we had no wealth to acquire. We were, did not have access to money, homes, the things that other people, other races have used to acquire wealth throughout the generations, we didn't have access to that. We didn't have access to education. We were just free labor. Yeah. And this is like one of those things that always angers me when this wealth gap topic comes up, because typically we're victim blamed. Like, why don't you just do better? You know, my ancestors came here with nothing and they built wealth. Like we were building the wealth of this nation during this period of time. And at the end of slavery, during this reconstruction period, we were basically homeless, unemployed with no money, you know, as a people. This had to be the hardest time ever for being Black in America. But what's crazy is we started to make some progress. We even built a bank. There was a bank called the Freedman Savings Bank. And in 1874, the federal government allowed that bank to go under. And that caused over 61,000 Black people to lose over $3 million in back then money which would be a huge loss in today's money. For sure. Take it a step further. In the early 1900s, there was a tremendous amount of segregation, but Black folks were able to build something. 
You look at a place like the Greenwood section of Tulsa, Oklahoma, right? We had built a thriving community. It was called Black Wall Street. We owned hotels, businesses, real estate. We had homes. We were giving loans to each other. And in 1921, there was a race massacre, right? There was a young man that walked into a hotel to use the bathroom, use a segregated bathroom. He took an elevator to get to the top floor so he can use the the Blacks-only bathroom. And in the process of getting on this elevator, he ran into a white woman and she accused him of of an assault that did not happen. And this was the event that set off the destruction of the Greenwood section of Tulsa, Oklahoma. Yeah. And I think I think it's only been in the recent years that this story has been told in more detail, right? I think there are a lot of people who are like, listen, I never even heard of the Tulsa massacre probably until about one to two years ago. Now people are talking about it more and more. But ultimately, as you mentioned, what happened is even with slavery, Black people started to do for themselves. They started to be able to find and create resources in order to be able to generate wealth and operate amongst each other, have Black businesses, have Black professionals, and be able to work with each other. And white people didn't like it. And it ain't because of a bathroom. It ain't because of this white lady. Like, white people just didn't like it in general. And they used this story as an opportunity to literally massacre people and massacre what Black people had created as their own, quote-unquote, Black Wall Street. Let's think about the economic fallout. After the Tulsa massacre, 15,000 Black people were left homeless. Over 1,500 homes were burned. 600 businesses were bombed. So I'm just going to stop you right there, right? Like, just think about that right there. So not only were 15,000 Black people left homeless, but 1,500 homes were burned. We always talk about how oftentimes your primary residence, your home ownership is typically your first or most common way to start to generate and build wealth in your family, right? And so 1,500 opportunities, major assets and opportunity for wealth generationally were completely destroyed. And then 600 businesses were bombed. I don't personally know 600 Black-owned businesses. Yeah, that's a fact. Today, like right now and 100 years later, I cannot, I'm sure I know they exist, but I don't know what they are. At one time, in one swoop, 600 Black-owned businesses were bombed. And you don't think that has an impact on where we are today. That was a major setback. Absolutely. And then what's crazy, because you you talk about, you know, the air quotes, white people, like it was also the government, right? Like these businesses had insurance and none of the claims got paid. Ridiculous. There were $1.8 million in losses in back then dollars, which would be billions of dollars today. And, you know, they only paid out one claim. And that entire massacre, an entire city or entire area of a city was bombed. The only claim they paid out was to a white store owner who had some guns stolen from him. None of the black businesses got a payout on insurance. So again, this is an example of progress that was made that was destroyed. And then let's keep going. So then we get to, we get past Tulsa. We get to the Great Depression, right? Which was a horrible, horrible time for Americans generally. After the Great Depression, there was this government program called the New Deal, And part of the New Deal was designed to create a middle class. We had a housing shortage at the time. And so they created a plan for giving out these new mortgages that would be 15-year mortgages where the payments were low. And at the end of those 15 years, you owned your home free and clear. But there was one exception. There were certain neighborhoods where they drew a red line around them 
and said, if the home is in this area, you can't issue one of these mortgages. So you know what's crazy? When I was in grade school, I remember us learning about the New Deal. It was all positivity, rays of sunshine. It was never identified or they never acknowledged the way they segregated or kept out certain people in certain neighborhoods. It was just, you know, the government did this amazing thing for us Americans and we should just be so happy and we should be so proud. Yeah, yeah. They pushed us into certain neighborhoods where we could only live. And then they drew a line around those neighborhoods and say, we can't issue mortgages there. Those are risky neighborhoods. Right. So that also prevents, again, home ownership and the opportunity to start to create wealth for your family. And taking it a step further, they even went so far as to say certain deeds. In the deed, this is a government document, you cannot sell this home to a Black person. Yeah. Like, we talk, I know this is like, hey, why are y'all going on and on about this? But like, here's what the impact was. From 1934 to 1962, the government subsidized over $100 billion in mortgages and only 2% went to non-white families. Now, when we say non-white, that doesn't automatically mean Black, right? That, that can mean a number of other races. But just in general, in totality, 2% went to non-white families. So 98% of the mortgages that were federally backed from 1934 to 1962 went to white folks. Right. Does that not equal a huge head start? Because let's think about what happened during the 1930s and 1940s. But I don't 19- want to even call it a head start. Like, it's y'all been ahead. It's not a head start. Like, you are ahead in slavery. Like, you've always been winning. And the government and the United States of America have always made sure that you continue to win, that it's impossible for you not to win. It's not a head start. That head start was generations ago, was decades ago. Yeah. Right? So centuries ago, you you've already... Before we got here, y'all had a head start. Y'all brought us here with the head start. You just made sure that every single thing you did, every rule, every law that you made ensured that no one else could win but you. Yeah. Even without your help, even without your support, when we created our own neighborhoods, when we did our own things, when we created Black Wall Street on our own, there was too much winning going on in spite of everything that you had already done. And you had to make sure that that didn't happen either. Yeah, yeah. That's, it's unfortunate. It's sad. It is a shame. Because when you think about the average household balance sheet today, when you think about the average wealth of an American family, the biggest asset on that book is their home equity. Right. Right. And like during this period of the 1930s to the 1960s, the, the suburbs were created. People accumulated a lot of home equity. They use this home equity to pay for their kids to go to college. Those kids who went to college, they went out and got good jobs. They then went out and bought their own homes, right? It wasn't until 1968 when the Fair Housing Act passed that there was a a removal of this concept of, of, of redlining. On paper. On paper. Oh, it still happened. Exactly. Like, look at our town where we live. Very segregated town. Is it? Our town is I don't agree with this statement. Our town is very segregated. I don't agree with the statement. Okay. Yeah. Where I grew up on my side of town, where you grew up on your side of town, just think about that. Who lives in that general area? I'm not saying it's all black. It's mostly black. Mm, I don't don't know if I agree. Like, we still live in the same town, right? So there are sides of town, yes. And on the side of town that we grew up in, it is very black and Spanish. Yeah. For sure. Now it's very Spanish. Very true. 
It's not, that's not true because my, my parents still live there and it's Spanish and it's Asian now. It's oftentimes a lot of the kids who go to Rutgers now live over there. Now, we are still in the same town, yet we are on a different side of town. And for me, most of my neighbors in this better side of town are black or of color. Okay, then walk one town over. Yeah, I don't know about them other towns. That ain't yeah, walk one town over. I don't know nothing about them towns. We like talking when, about my town, this town that we're in right now in my neighborhood and in your neighborhood. You're not you live in a great part of town. I live in a great part of town. I'm not surrounded by only white people. There's plenty of black people. There are plenty of Indian people here. Yeah, it's still my neighborhood is very segregated. Yeah. Like I, I live on a block with with a lot of nice, very nice who I love white folks. I have one Indian family on my block, and um, I'd have to walk to the next a couple streets over to get to a black family. And I'm not complaining about that, but I'm just saying that these effects, these impacts are sure. still being felt. Even when you look at, there was a story recently about when black homeowners are selling a house and they have photographs up. When they go to sell that house, it takes a- It's appraised. Yeah, it, it gets appraised at a much lower price. Yeah. No, right? for sure, these things are still having a very meaningful impact, as we mentioned. They are no longer law on paper, but they are so ingrained into the process of home ownership and equity and, and wealth building that they are still happening at probably the same rate, 100%. Yeah, so we're giving this information because we don't want folks to just sit here and think that your parents were messing up. No. Your grandparents were messing up. We also don't want to run this narrative that Black people just aren't good with money or don't know how to save or just make really bad decisions or aren't working hard enough, right? Like, so the reason why we're giving this backstory and we're highlighting these things that have happened so everyone can be very, very clear, this is not based off of bad decision-making. If you are in a place, if your family is in a place today where they have not accumulated any wealth you guys don't know how to accumulate wealth. It's not even something you talk about. It's not because you guys are irresponsible and it's not because y'all been making bad decisions for generations and generations. You literally have not had the opportunity. And when you did, they were taken away from you to be in a better place. That's what we're going to spend the bulk of our time talking about today. This generational framework for building wealth. Because we've got to ask ourselves, what are we going to do about it? Right? Like I know that there's a big push for reparations. We're behind that push. But what if they don't come or what if they don't come soon enough? Are we going to sit here and wait for the government to solve our problems? Nope. Or are we going to do what is in our power to do as much as we can to close this gap in our own lives? Fully understanding that there are still obstacles in our way and there is still pushback. So it's not easy, but we have more tools now. We have more insight. We have more representation. We have more resources. So today's framework is really about identifying where you stand in this generational framework. We're going to break down generation negative one, generation zero, generation one, generation two. We want to break down what are the examples of what it is to be in one of these generations and what are the strategies for moving up a generation? Because you have the power today to move up a generation if you're mindful of it, if you know the strategies, if you know the tools, and we want to give them to you today. So this is likely going to be a two-part episode just because we've got a lot that we want to talk about in regards to these various generational designations. And this is super, super important. Like you've got to know where you are to know where you're going. You have to understand where you came from to know how you got to where you are today so that you can make changes for yourself, for your children, and so on. So stick with us. I'm Tiffany Hawkins. I'm Alan Boomer. And we're the Momentum Advisors. Momentum Advisors. 
This is Ray King, COO of the North Star and co-host of the podcast, Woke at Work. We've heard from so many of you about how much Woke at Work has meant to you and how much you're looking forward to new episodes. Well, season two is available for you to listen to on all of your favorite podcasting platforms. And new this season, we have video episodes available exclusively to our members at the North Star. Want to get each episode a week early and actually watch our guest interviews? Head over to www.thenorthstar.com today to become a member for as little as $10 a month. Thank you so much for your support of Black-owned, women-led media. So we are back. Yes. Um, we have highlighted the 100-year anniversary of the Tulsa Massacre. Yes. And we have talked about what it has done to us as a community when it comes to our ability to generate and create wealth. The other things that have been done systemically to continue to prevent us from being able to create wealth. But now we are going to talk about where we have come from and where we are going. Yeah. And the strategies on how to get there. Yes. We're breaking down our generational framework. Now, we're, we've talked a lot about Black folks, but what I will say is we have a wealth gap generally, and a lot of this information is good regardless of what color you are, what race For you sure. are, because a lot of us are still seeing the impacts of generational curses that might have existed in your family for a long time. So let's start with generation negative one. All right. So this is the generation that's destroying wealth in your family, like to this day, right? So what we're trying to do is identify the generation that you're currently in, and maybe you want to identify the generation that you come from. But generation negative one is the generation that is actively destroying or has destroyed wealth in your family. This is a generation that's had limited career opportunities, limited education, possibly. They may have been incarcerated or they may have substance abuse issues. They might have debt problems. They might have been involved with payday lenders and pawn shop loans. They are not very financially stable. And so because they're not stable, they have to rely on other people around them for loans and for support financially. And so let me just say this really quickly before I even start going into my tangents and my stories. As I tend to do, this is not to shame anybody. No. Right? Like as Alan mentioned, this isn't a black thing. I mean, we just happen to be black and we happen to know what happens in our community. But every every race, every color has all of these generations. We have all of these family members. They exist today. They existed back in the day. And unfortunately, they will continue to exist. So this is not about shame. We're not shaming anybody. This is just reality. So nice. can I now talk about my generation negative one story? Please do. This is not in my family, but this is a family that is close to my family that I consider family. So we have a woman in our family we love dearly, older lady, like 60s older, mm -hmm. but absolutely asks every single person she meets for money on a weekly basis. Really? Not, not once, A, my light bill's low, not, you know, it's Christmas and I'm trying to pull it together for the grandkids. It's literally weekly. Hey, I'm running low on gas. Hey. 
I'm trying to, I need to get some groceries. Mm. Now, those reasons, you know, like, listen, okay. But this person has a full-time job, has a full husband. And then she oftentimes gets upset if you don't give her the money, especially when it's reasons like, we're going to a cookout this weekend and I need a new outfit. I need a new pair of black shoes. Mm -hmm. And if you say, I don't have it or I'm not giving it to you, you got on new shoes. Mm. What you mean you're not going to give it to me? Mm. This for me is a generation negative one because not only are you not even focused on building your own wealth, you are taking wealth from others. You're not, again, creating your own foundation. You literally are just taking. You're taking from as many households as possible. You're not doing any of the things that you need to do in order to make sure that your next generation is okay. You are just causing problems in other people's bank accounts. I think we all have generation negative one stories For sure. in our families. Like I'll, I'll tell you, my mom's side of the family was plagued with generation negative ones. In some cases, it was based on things like alcoholism. Mm -hmm. In other cases, it was recidivism, going back to, to jail constantly. In other cases, it was medical issues. Like my, my mom's side of the family is plagued with cancer. None of the women in my, my mom's side of the family lived past 40 except my mom. Wow. And some of her younger nieces, right? And so sometimes these issues are very systematic and plaguing, but they exist. And when you talk about wealth creation, negative ones are destroying wealth because of all of these different things. So let's next talk about generation zero. I love this generation. So generation zero is the foundational generation in your family's wealth building trajectory. This generation had limited income, right? They might not have created a lot of wealth primarily because they didn't have the opportunity to do so. Not because they didn't want to or not because they were making bad decisions. It's just because of some of the things that we talked about earlier and other things that are taking place that they just didn't have the opportunity to really make a lot of money or build a lot of wealth. Their kids are probably helping them with their bills now. They've done the best that they can, but they still need a lot of help as they've gotten older. Mm -hmm. And so they've given birth to children who give back, help pay the bills a little bit, help make sure mom and dad have groceries or can take care of the things that they need. But these people have strong values and they have a real understanding of basic financial concepts, right? They've always worked hard. Even if they didn't make a lot of money, they've always worked hard. They've always had a job or made sure they could keep a job and showed up for work. And if they couldn't pay for something in cash, they just wouldn't buy it. They weren't out here getting credit cards. Credit probably wasn't even available to them. They didn't rely on credit. They weren't going to get in any more debt. They were just going to do what they could afford to do with the money that they could make. They also could probably stretch a dollar. They were able to raise an entire family on the limited income that they had, even with limited resources. And maybe the family didn't always have everything, but they had enough. And they, again, they got to pick up on that hard work. They got to pick up on stretching a dollar. They also got to pick up on not buying things that you could afford. And they were always just grateful, thankful, and appreciative for what they could do. They could have dwelled on all the things they didn't have, what the neighbors had that they didn't have. But that wasn't their philosophy. That wasn't their way of thinking. They knew that they did what they could with what they had, and they were appreciative for that. And they implanted that in their children. Facts. Right? And so Generation Zero oftentimes isn't leaving any type of inheritance to their children. 
right? They may be able to leave a house, a modest house. Probably in the country. Probably in the country or maybe some land. You know, nothing huge, nothing in, in any major metropolitan city, but that was the house that they could pay for. That's the house that they were able to pay off a little bit at a time, and so they left that to you. But their biggest inheritance is those family values, that work ethic, and teaching you how to stretch a dollar, and teaching you how to make the best of what you had at the time. Generation Zero, for me, is one of the most important generations because it focuses on the things that can't be bought and that can only be taught. And those are the things that can't be taken away from you. And those are the vital things that you're going to need to be a Generation One, a Generation Two, and beyond. You described that beautifully, Tiffany. Generation Zero is that foundational generation in your family. Like, the, like with this generation, you can start to build wealth. Like, again, they didn't build wealth themselves because they didn't make a lot of money. But if they can teach their kids the values of hard work and being thankful and not wasting money, now the family can start to do a lot better. This is a great description of my dad's side of the family. My dad grew up in the country in North Carolina. He grew up working on, on a farm from age six and up. My dad went to college, but his father one day asked him to help him with his income taxes. And my dad did his taxes and was shocked that my grandfather made like $6,000 that year. And so he never made a lot of money. All of the kids, my dad was one of seven. All of the kids would send money back to help mom and dad out. But what's crazy about this family where everybody worked on the farm, where the patriarch never made more than $6,000 in a year, he was able to send three out of seven kids to college. And all the kids are financially successful today, even the ones that didn't go to college. Like the ones that didn't go to college, they went into the military, they went into the police force, they went into the government. And this was all based on those values. My dad inherited a home. The home is worth like $20,000, $30,000. I likely will never go there again because I grew up going to my grandmother's house. And it's a sad place for me. I don't want to go there. Like, I think this is a story we hear a lot people inheriting things. But the biggest things that my dad inherited and that I inherited from my dad is this work ethic. And that's generation zero. And so as we highlight generation zero and before we move on to generation one, I just want you to take stock of who is the generation zero in your family and have you given them enough credit, right? Maybe you think, well, you know, they didn't make, they never made a lot of money. They were never all that successful. They never really had much. They did what they could, but it wasn't anything major. And maybe you discredit them for that, or maybe you don't celebrate them for those reasons. But you shouldn't, because Generation Zero is the most vital stepping stone for wealth creation. Because again, imparting in you that we're going to make it work with whatever we have, we're going to work hard, we're going to be grateful, and we're going to Again, impart those basic foundational things. And sometimes it's not, it's not investing. It's not how to get involved in the stock market. It's, again, how to save money from week to week, how to cut back here and there, how to make sure, modest or not, you're able to pay that house off, how to make sure you always set a little bit aside for Christmas, not how do I launch an app and create a Facebook and become a billionaire and get on Clubhouse. None of those things. Right. Because those things will fall short if you don't have these things. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the, the beauty of this framework is that you can move up a generation. You might have had a bad history with money, 
but you can become generation zero. It's going to require you learning some things that maybe uh, are different than the way you were brought up. It's going to require you to do some things a little bit differently, but generation zero is very, very important, very fundamental to your family's generational wealth. And I will tell you this, it is much harder to become a generation zero, in my opinion, than it is to become a generation one. And what I mean by that is if you come from a generation negative one Mm -hmm. and that's all you see are bad decisions. It is very hard to get on the right track if you don't have people around you showing you the proper ways to make the right decisions, especially with a limited income or the limited opportunity for education. But with Generation Zero, that is the stepping stone. That'll get you to Generation One. That'll get you to Generation Two because you have the foundational principles, but now you have greater resources and opportunity to do more with that. Absolutely. So let's talk about Generation One. A lot of our listeners fall into Generation One. A lot of our friends and family fall into Generation One. Generation One is the first generation in your family to actually have the opportunity to create wealth. This is, again, when you think about folks who are the first in their family to go to college, folks who might have generated a higher income and have more wealth today than their parents did. These are folks who are financially secure So much to the point that they're able to help out their own parents and maybe even some other family members. This is a generation that will create an inheritance for their kids. It'll be retirement accounts. It might be life insurance. It might be home equity. But again, this is the generation that will create some actual financial wealth for the first time in the trajectory of your family. So I'm going to go and say, if I had to define myself, I think I'm more of a generation one. Mm -hmm. I am the first person in my family to graduate from college. Um, I make a higher income than either one of my parents have ever made, and not for lack of hard work, but just I had the greater opportunity. I was able to graduate from college. I had the ability to pursue whatever I wanted to pursue. I didn't have to take a job just because, right? Like I had the support to be able to say, what What do I like to do? Can I, let me explore a variety of careers. Let me settle on what I like the most. When oftentimes our parents and our grandparents didn't have that opportunity. They had to work mm-hmm. to provide. I don't got nobody to provide for. So, so I feel more like I am a generation one because I'm, I've accomplished a lot of firsts mm-hmm. in my family, especially when it comes to financially. Yeah, and I applaud you for that, right? But you are standing on your parents' shoulders and doing that. Yeah, 100%. And my parents were amazing at imparting a lot of foundational principles. My parents are two of the hardest working individuals that I know. They are both in their 70s and they still work full-time jobs, not because they have to, thankfully, but genuinely because they want to. They believe in hard work. They believe that a life worth living is a life where you are accomplishing something on a daily basis. Could you imagine what your life might have been like? And I'm just saying might. If your folks had been on unemployment their whole lives because of health issues or alcoholism or a variety of other things that might have impeded them. Could you imagine what life might have felt like if you did not understand that adults get up and go to work every day and that's what you're supposed to do? Yeah, actually I can't for myself. Right. Like I can't imagine what that's like. My mother is really great with money. She's always had really great credit. She's an amazing saver um, to the point where she takes it a little bit too far. My father has always told me that if you don't have the cash for it, you can't afford it. But 
If you keep saving, then you can get it. Like I've never been raised with the thought that I can't have something. I've just always been taught that you've got to work for it. You've got to make enough money to be able to afford it. Credit was not a real thing in our household at all. Um, Debt wasn't a real thing in our household at all. But once you work hard and make enough money, go ahead and do that thing. Yeah, my dad was a generation one. Like he was able to build some wealth. Like I I will one day, and I hope it's no day soon, uh, my brothers and I will inherit a home from my parents. They will, we will inherit what's left from his retirement assets. Um, not much life insurance, but there will be a substantial inheritance relative to what my my dad received, right? Yeah. And the thing about my dad being a generation one, it was a lot, everything was on him really, right? Just like on you, like you couldn't really go to your parents and ask them for, for money, right? Generation one might have to learn some stuff from other people. Well, let me not, maybe I'm a little bit of a generation two, because I my, I definitely relied on my parents financially in a number of different ways. But like you bought your first home. Did you ask your parents for money to buy your first home? No. So that, that's a perfect example. But my parents definitely bought my first car, cars, Facts. first couple of cars, first apartment. So maybe you're like 1.2, I might be like, oh, 1.5. Yeah, I might be like a 1.5 <laughs> because I also will be inheriting homes for my parents, yep. retirement accounts, uh, things of that nature. I, I was I relied heavily on my parents financially okay. for a very long time. So let's then move to generation two. So this is the first generation in your family in a position to benefit from the financial wealth of their parents. These are folks who will receive a valuable home inheritance, a six-figure home equity type of inheritance. And that might be spread amongst the kids, but it's still substantial what will be received. They will receive a financial inheritance of more than $50,000. And this is the generation that's most at risk of blowing it. Generation two. Like you can book, you can go from generation two to a generation negative one if you're not financially literate and responsible with your money. Right. And that's what makes generation zero so important, right? Like generation two oftentimes didn't have a lot of direct exposure to the to the generation zeros in their family. So they didn't get those foundational principles. Generation two oftentimes comes from the parents, no shade, who are like, I don't want my kids to have to work for what I had to work for, right? We hear that so much. Oftentimes parents say, I don't want my kids to have to struggle, which I agree. But somehow that translates to, I don't want them to have to work. Yeah, that's not the same thing. Right, that's not the same (laughs) thing. That's very different. Right, and so because of what you potentially had to go through You don't teach them those foundational principles. You just teach them how to spend. You teach them they don't have a major work ethic, right? Because they didn't have to work for a lot because you've been giving them everything. They've inherited so much. They know that their life is pretty much taken care of. They can go off and do what they want to do or not because mom and dad's going to step in and save the day potentially. And so I don't have to really apply myself. It's not second nature to work hard. And so while generation two, I think, is aspirational, that's what we want, when there's no generation zero Mm -hmm. in generation two, you will easily become generation negative one. That's a fact. So let's give some strategies then. So I, I think the biggest thing I love about this content is that we are inspiring people to move up a generation or to fortify themselves within their generation. And I hope we are inspiring you to take stock of where you come from where you are, because you may recognize, you know what, I might have, maybe I've been a generation negative one for a little while mm-hmm. because I didn't have a lot of resources. I didn't have a lot of opportunity, but I might need to tighten up yeah, and I might need to try to become a generation zero, or I at least need to make sure that my children become a generation zero. And so while I still don't have a lot of resources, I've still got time to teach them 
the things that they need to know. You know what I mean? Like, I think it's equally as important to give strategies as it is to identify where you've come from, who is who in your family, and where are you? And then where do you want your kids to go? Mm -hmm. Is there an opportunity for you to change and become of a different generation? If it's not, that's fine because where you are matters because it creates a stepping stone for the next person. I love it. I love it. So stick with us. I'm Tiffany Hawkins. I'm Alan Boomer. And we're the Momentum Advisors. Thank you so much for listening to the Momentum Advisors show. This is Sean King, founder and CEO of the North Star. If you want to hear more shows like this, featuring black and brown voices on the most important issues of the day, head over right now to thenorthstar.com to discover all the podcasts we have to offer. We have over 500 different episodes from six different podcast series, and they're all great. Check them out. So we're back. Yes. We've been having, it's a bit of a heavier conversation. Yeah, but but it's it's, important. It's super important. It's super valuable. It's something that we've been doing a lot of research on for a while now. We've been developing these terms and what they mean and the strategies for them because we think it's super important in all communities, but especially in the black community, especially when we've gone through the things that we have gone through and continue to go through today that have an impact on our ability to create wealth for ourselves. Absolutely. And so we've talked about all the generations, generation negative one, generation zero, generation one, and generation two. And and what we don't want to happen is for these generations to become cyclical. That's what we don't want. We want us to get to generation two and stick there, right? Or become a generation three that we haven't really talked about yet. Mm -hmm. Even though it's super easy for it to become cyclical, we want to avoid that, right? So that's why we're identifying and we're strategizing. Yeah, because one thing I I hate to see, like we grew up in a middle-class community in the suburbs with a lot of opportunity that our parents did not have. But we have a lot of friends that are doing like worse than their parents. Yeah. We have a lot of friends who are generation negative one. And I'm always curious, how did you get there? Like we all grew up in the same middle class neighborhood where we didn't really have to worry about violence or crime, at least not in our neighborhood. I don't know what's going on in your house. Yeah. um, But like it it wasn't a, it it was extremely safe uh, to everybody provided for everybody else. You know what I mean? So I oftentimes wonder how did you end up a generation negative one when we all grew up together? And it is because of what you were taught in your household. And also some of the choices that you made. Like, let's not blame it all on the parents. For sure. Because a lot of it is choices. Like, I remember there, like the year I graduated high school, we sent the same number of kids to prison as Harvard that year. And one of the kids was doing life. And I'm like, we all like, right. we were playing volleyball and gym together like a week ago. Where did you even find this crime that yeah. got you life? It's crazy. So here's some strategies. If you are a negative one, here are th- some things that you need to do. Number one, you've got to start a career. You might need to learn a trade. You might need to finish your education, but you really have to get to the point where you can generate some income to support yourself. So this is my favorite part of the strategy. It is start a career. 
right? And as you mentioned, you might need to learn a trade. So for everybody, it's not going to college. Like that's not even what we're talking about. We're just saying finish your education. Mm -hmm. That might mean high school. That might mean some sort of HVAC certification. That might be getting online and learning enough for you to go and apply for that job. Whatever it is, finish your education or learn a trade or skill enough that you can get a job that will support you and potentially allow for advancement. Absolutely. That's it. You've got to get on your feet. This might require you to go live with somebody for a short period of time. Don't go live with somebody for the next 10 years. Right. But get on your feet. Actually save some money. Like, don't go live with somebody and be buying Jordans and expensive things that you can't afford while you're avoiding saving for your own place. Like, actually use it as a chance to get on your feet and go and work yourself up to the point where you can pay that person some rent. Because I think that's out of respect for them and the opportunity that they've given you to live there. And I think it also sets this expectation that, yo, if you're living somewhere, you got to pay. Like, there's not a lot of places you can live for free as an adult and not expect that you have to pay. We all know a lot of negative ones who are always sleeping on somebody's couch, can never keep a job, or always quitting a job for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. I couldn't get there. It was They wanted me to be there too early in the morning. Lord. You know, they called me to come and work on a Saturday. Whatever the reasons are, they're just not consistent in bringing income in for themselves. Again, they're always staying with somebody else, running up somebody else's light bill, borrowing their car. Mm -hmm. You've got to get out of that cycle. So what we're saying, and again, please don't think we're saying that this is easy because the deck has been stacked against you. But you've got to come up out of that and you've got to do enough to get a job to just be able to take care of yourself. Yeah, that's the point. Like negative ones are, they're leeching on other people and bringing them down. And then typically what happens is in the midst of the leeching, you start having kids, right? And so then you're never going to be able to take care of yourself or these kids because you're just adding greater expenses onto your situation. And think about what those kids are learning from you, right? Like how will you break this cycle if they're learning these traits from you? So you've got to get on your feet. It, as Tiffany mentioned, it might not be easy. You might need to go to counseling. Mm -hmm. You might need to go to rehab if there's substance abuse issues. You might need to go to AA. You might need to get join a church group. Right, because I was going to say rehab isn't affordable all the time, right? Like you can't always just run up in somebody's rehab. You might just have to figure out how to stop drinking. Or whatever your substance or whatever your issue is, mm -hmm. you might have to slowly figure out what do I got to do to be able to stop so that I can do better for myself. For negative ones, the plan is, the goal is to be able to do better for yourself. You can't even think past that. It's just how do I make money, work enough, understand enough for me to be able to take care of myself. I watched a very interesting story the other day. It was a show about a bank robber. Mm. Um, I like this show on Vice called How to Rob a Bank. This is interesting. It's a very interesting show. It is bank robbers talking about how they robbed banks. Okay. And there was this particular guy who was robbing banks because he didn't know how to keep a job. And he was married and he had kids and eventually his wife left him. She did not know he was robbing a bank, but she just knew he was up to something. He was making really bad decisions. He wasn't a good husband and she left him and he came home one day and the house was empty and the kids were gone. Mm. And he said, I didn't even know how to pay a bill. I didn't even know who to pay the rent to if I had the money to pay rent. So I just didn't. I never paid it before. He was like, my money would 
potentially go towards paying the rent. But my wife took care of all these things. I wasn't really responsible. I didn't know how to buy clothes for myself. This was a grown ass man. Um, I didn't know how to, you know, do certain things because it wasn't a priority. And I just married somebody who liked doing those things for me. And I kept robbing banks. So I had the money, but I didn't even think to do any of these things. It got to the point where she took all the furniture, as I mentioned. Mm -hmm. So he was living in this empty house and he started practicing prison. What? He started practicing what? how to live in prison. Who does because this? his plan was, he was like, you know, trying to figure these things out is too hard. Mm. So eventually I'm going to go to the police and tell them that I've been robbing these banks and I'm going to go to prison because that seems easy. They provide meals for you. They tell you where to sleep. They provide clothes for you. So for three weeks or so, he practiced prison mm. in the house. And then called the police and said, can you come pick he me up? He called the police on himself? And said, can you come pick me up? And went to prison and was like, this was a lot easier for me than being on the outside. And there are people like that. They're called derelicts who are more comfortable in prison or in these bad situations because they know how to live in strife. They know how to live in somebody telling them what to do mm. and not having control over their own lives. It's easier for them to do that than to figure out how to take care of themselves and get on track. That's a negative one. Wow. You just blew my mind. <laughs> he practiced prison. He called prison. the police on he, himself? But before that, he practiced prison for three weeks mm. in his house. Yeah. And yeah. then said, bet, it's time. I, I think I got this down. I'm going to call him. They came and picked him up and went into prison ready and was like, this was great. Can I can I tell you who the hero of this story is? The wife. The wife for packing up and leaving. Yeah. Can you imagine the impact on these kids when a person like that right. is in the house and your kids are learning from them? Right. Sometimes the decision on a negative one is you got to leave them. There you go. So that you can become that generation zero. There you go. Again, it's not easy, but you got to do it if you want to make a change. So overall, the primary goal for the negative one is to get your life on track for yourself. And this is not for you to be stellar. It's not for you to be uh, an, an executive necessarily. You have been making bad decisions financially since forever. You haven't had a good life, essentially, whether it's because of just not being able to work, maybe having some substance abuse issues, maybe just being in really, really bad situations and not being able to pull yourself out. This is just about getting your feet on the ground and being able to move forward without being a burden to others, without being a negative impact to others. Yeah, I think that's beautiful. I want to tell before we go, I think we're like out of time. I know um, we've got, there will be a part two. So the next episode, we're not going to make you wait. The next episode is us going into the strategies for generation zero, generation one, generation two, and we'll talk about some other things. Absolutely. So just another Generation Zero story. This is, I think my family had two Generation Zeros. So my great-grandfather was a was born into slavery and lived through that Reconstruction period when Blacks needed to figure out what they were going to do. So him and his brother went on the run. And uh, there's a lot of boomers out there because, you know, one brother went left, one brother went right. My, my great-grandfather is the one who went to the left. And he had 25 kids. And the reason why he had so many kids is that he had met a white person who said, look, I will give you the chance to own some land 
if you can help me clear all the trees and brush off this land. So for every three acres that you clear, I'll give you one, right? And so my my great-grandfather had the wisdom to have a bunch of kids so that they could help him clear this land. And when he passed away, everybody had enough land to build a house on. And that's the land where my dad was born and where, you know, for the family still owns to this day. And so what I'm not telling you to go find a white man say, to Alan, clear some are land. Are you just saying have a bunch of kids? No, what I am saying is that you've got to recognize that progress can be made by simply doing a little bit better than your mm. parents, right? And so like he was born into slavery, right? He died as a landowner with a bunch of kids who owned land and those at kids, a minimum. Though, but to be honest, right? Like those kids probably didn't have much. No. They probably worked all the time. They didn't have a lot of the luxuries that maybe other people had, but he still did so much better than where he came from, mm-hmm. right? And he still provided more for them than was ever provided for him. You know what I mean? And so moving from one generation to the next may not always look like a lot. Mm-hmm. It doesn't always feel like wealth, but to the person that got you to that next stepping stone who didn't have any land and was a slave, but was able to leave you with a hard work ethic and a little bit of land, that was, that was, that was big. That yeah. was progress. We talk to so many people who feel so frustrated with where they are in life. And we have this conversation to give them the perspective that you've already come a long way and you can set your kids up to go even further. Or if not your own kids, maybe your nieces and nephews or your godchildren. Like you can make a decision today that I want to create some generational wealth, even if you're a generation zero. And that's, the, that's really the moral of the story today. Yeah, that's as far as we've gotten. Identifying, again, the things that have been setting us back that continue to stand in our way, but understanding that there are things that we can do now to get beyond that, that we have been doing to get beyond that. Knowing where you come from, identifying your place in the creation of generational wealth for your family, and moving things forward. I love it. So you've got to listen to the next episode. Yes, this is a cliffhanger. This is a cliffhanger. We did not intend to do this on purpose, but we knew we had a lot to cover. And so we just got to split it in half. So see us next week. Same back channel, same bat time. Sure. (laughs) I don't know if people are that old that they know where that comes from. I love Batman. But feel free. I'm Tiffany Hawkins. I'm Alan Boomer. And we're the Momentum Advisors. Momentum. Momentum.